Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Hi, everyone, and thanks for joining us for ASHP's podcast mini-series, Digging into DEI and Pharmacy Practice. These episodes will explore the issues, experiences, and perspectives of underrepresented communities in ASHP's membership, including Black, Indigenous, and People of Color, or BIPOC, and LGBTQIA members. My name is Maria Curias. I'm ASHP's Director of Member Operations, and I will be your host for today's episode, The Case for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. In today's episode, we'll be chatting with Dr. Lakeisha Butler, Professor and Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Southern Illinois University Edwardsville, as well as CEO and founder of Dr. Lakeisha Butler, LLC. Dr. Butler served as a faculty member for the ASHP Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Certificate, and today we will be talking a little more about her work on DEI and some of the highlights from her contribution to the certificate program. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Butler. Thank you for having me. So recent social movements and the tragic deaths of far too many people of color have amplified the urgency and importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and the pressing need for individuals, communities, and organizations of all types to prioritize actions leading to change. ASHP and its members have long been committed to eliminating racial and ethnic disparities in healthcare, but also understand that there's much work left to be done. ASHP seeks to help improve diversity, equity, and inclusion in healthcare and society more broadly. So Dr. Butler, we often hear these three words, diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI used together. How would you describe what they really mean? Yes, no, that's a great question. And I have to say that, you know, you mentioned there's so much more work to be to be done, and I can't reiterate that enough. There's been progress made and some strides that we've taken, but I would have to say that we've focused more on diversity, and diversity is representation of various social identities that we can see and those that we cannot see such as age, gender, gender identity, race, sexual orientation, ability status, socioeconomic status, and many others. And the reason that we focus, you know, when you hear about diversity, some some may think about uh, certain characteristics that we focus in on more is because of demographics that we collect. Um, We certainly can't collect all of those uh, different characteristics or demographics, but also because of the historical and contemporary exclusionary policies and practices that exist for certain groups. And so when we think about even using the term diversity, equity, and inclusion, we we usually just hear diversity, and then we moved into diversity and inclusion, and now we've um, we've added in equity. I, I think that diversity just scratches the surface, um, and and honestly, in pharmacy, there's still limited representation in pharmacy. Um, So when we think about inclusion, that is creating an environment where any individual or group can be and feel welcomed, respected, supported, and valued to fully participate. Oftentimes, we can have um, an inclusive environment that is diverse, but many times a diverse environment is not inclusive. And so we certainly have to see all three of these working in tandem. Now, equity is the fair access, the fair treatment, 
uh, fair opportunities and advancement for all people. Equity does require a heightened awareness of the social and historical context of those exclusionary policies and practices that I mentioned earlier within organizations and beyond in the society. Equity also identifies and eliminates those structural barriers that disadvantage certain groups. So I like to use visuals. Um, certainly there's a visual that was put out by the Robert Woods Johnson Foundation where we see the difference between equality and equity. And so equality is where everyone receives the same resources. And, and in this particular visual that I'm referring to, it's a, a resource of a bicycle. So an individual that is in a wheelchair or a much taller individual, um, they may need a different type of bicycle. And that is where equity comes in, where we cannot give all of these individuals the same type, type of bicycle. And I also think about, you know, in the, the workforce, um, I know at my institution, we receive laptops. Um, and so there may be individuals that have multiple laptops at home. But then on the other hand, there may be individuals that do not have laptops and also need assistance with internet service in order for them to be productive and successful. And that's where equity comes in uh, so that we're providing the resources for everyone um, to to be successful and exactly what they need to be successful. So some people may need one thing, some people may not need any of those particular resources at all because they already have them. Additionally, when I think about comparing, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion, some listeners may have heard that diversity is being invited to a party while inclusion is being asked to dance. And I also like to take that a step further. Equity might be, or even belonging, might be where we're playing a variety of, of music that people at the party actually enjoy. And so while you're at a party and they're playing music that, that's, that's not the favorite type of music that you like, or it's a genre that you really don't like, you don't feel like you belong or you don't feel like you're in an equitable state. So that is the difference between just being asked to dance, but also being in an environment where you feel comfortable. And another example is that diversity can also be described as having a seat at the table, while inclusion is having a voice at the table and being heard. However, equity is when minoritized individuals' voices are amplified. Because as I've mentioned, that these particular minoritized voices have been marginalized traditionally or have been silenced. And that's because of social and cultural norms. And so equity would be amplifying those voices that have traditionally been either silenced or marginalized. You know, I really appreciate how you broke down these three pillars into easy to understand examples for the casual listener. And I know that through your contributions to the ASHP DEI certificate program, you expand on all of that quite a bit more. Could you provide us with some insight in the benefits of recognizing and embracing these three pillars? Absolutely. So there are many benefits to not only recognizing and embracing DEI, but also championing for DEI. When we incorporate 
diversity, equity, and inclusion, there's a greater chance of us realizing health equity. We can learn from the different experiences. We can certainly create or have greater creativity when we have different perspectives that are represented. We'll also most likely meet the needs of the diverse communities that we serve. When everyone in your organization feels included, this is, according to Franklin Covey's, there's this performance model. Individuals are more productive. When you feel valued, included, and respected, and this is the high-performing zone, you bring your best self. You are constantly trying to find ways to um, improve yourself and be better and even improve the organization. And so we see that employees and organizations are more productive and they move to the next level when individuals that are in the organization feel valued and they're in the high-performing zone. However, when, I, when we talk about inclusion and there's not that inclusion aspect, there is the limiting zone where individuals or employees may feel tolerated or ignored, going back to their voice not being heard, um, specifically if they have traditionally been marginalized or, or silenced because of our historical or contemporary exclusionary policies and practices. And once you're in the limiting zone, it's very easy to move into the damaging zone. And that is certainly being excluded or slighted. So just imagine how you show up when you feel tolerated, whether it's at work, in your personal life. We certainly don't give our best and we don't move forward if we're feeling tolerated. We usually don't want to be there. And so that really lends into the idea of retention and turnover. If you have or embrace DEI, um, employee turnover decreases and you have greater retention of your employees. So there are many benefits. Those are just a few that I wanted to reiterate today. Certainly in the the certificate program, we talk about more. Your discussion on zones really leads me into my next question of the benefits of DEI initiatives in regards to workplace culture and productivity. You mentioned the differences in employee performance and satisfaction when you feel valued and respected versus marginalized or silenced. Uh, Could you expand a little bit more on your thoughts about initiatives within the workplace? So, you know, as it relates to hiring, we certainly want to be thinking about uh, inclusion and inclusion requires and also equity requires us to address our biases. So traditionally, we either have unfavorable or favorable biases. And what that means is you may favor certain individuals, especially those that have um, different or the same social identities as you or that you can relate to. You may favor them over individuals that are different than you. And so the, the flip goes to having unfavorable bias where there is a negative association with someone because of their potential social identities. And that will lend to uh, maybe not hiring them and certainly thinking about favoring someone and keeping a more homogenous environment. Uh, So certainly hiring is an important place that we, we want to embrace and galvanize diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I talked about with equity, thinking about the resources that individuals need in the workplace, whether it's more mentorship, 
certainly if there are individuals that are marginalized and don't have a sense of community within the organization, that will uh, lend to them not necessarily understanding what they need to do to go to the next level in their career. So therefore, mentorship would also be important. Another you know, initiative that I, I like to recommend is maybe implementing affinity groups. Um, so, you know, individuals feel comfortable, feel like they can maybe be a little bit more transparent and they have, they can create that community amongst individuals that share the same social identities. Uh, and so those are some examples of initiatives. But ultimately, um, it's important to seek feedback from your employees, finding out from employees that are marginalized, what are some uh, resources that they may need? So just asking, what can I provide to, to make you be more successful? So those are just a, a few examples, but definitely we see this in hiring. Um, but once you get individuals there, how can you retain them? So creating um, an environment where they, they feel like they want to stay. Wow. These are really great recommendations that a person who may not be directly involved in the hiring process may not have had as top of mind. And some employees may not even realize that there could be resources that they're missing. So I love that you're highlighting all of these different areas where we can all do better. So along those lines of providing people with needs, we often hear the term ally. For all of our listeners who are on their journey of allyship, what resources would you recommend? Yes, there are a number of resources, but I think it's important to, to understand, you know, that allyship is a verb. So it's it's taking action. You know, I, I like to use either the term um, accomplice or co-conspirator. So those are a little further along in um, being an ally. And so all of these particular terms mean action, but those um, you know, co-conspirators, those accomplice, they're actually in it uh, with really accomplished or accompanying those that are marginalized. And so really it's about um, speaking up and speaking out when you see injustices or inequities, speaking up about it. When you're in spaces that there's not representation, actually being the voice for those that are not present in the room. As you mentioned, you asked about resources. I think it's important as an ally to learn about how inequities began and how they still exist in our country and in healthcare. And so I often recommend the resource, The Color of Law, Medical Apartheid, um, Just Medicine. Those are three that come to mind because they talk about the history and really focus in on, you know, why are we here today, but also what's present still today and um, even thinking about how can we move forward. But some specific uh, resources that are tailored to addressing allyship. There's a book called Allies and Advocates, uh, which I highly recommend. Um, there's also the Leader's Guide to Unconscious Bias. Uh, that's a great book that really talks about, you know, in order for you to be an ally, we have to address our own unconscious biases. And another resource that um, comes to mind it is with the CDC, it talks about promoting health equity. And so it's, it's a resource to help communities address social determinants of health. 
So in addition to becoming an ally, you have to understand what actions can we specifically take within pharmacy to address those social determinants of health and, and specifically knowing that you know, health disparities, health inequities really stem from those social determinants of health. Your comment on understanding history before being able to consciously move forward really resonated with me. You truly need to understand the why and the what, uh, why things are the way that they are and what led to it being that way, which then informs your action plan moving forward of how to make improvements, right? Having that historical knowledge can only enhance your ability to become that co-conspirator you talked about. Um, and it can only help when it comes to cultural competence too, right? Uh, knowing more about the varying cultures in your community helps you care for them in a more meaningful way, I think. So taking all of this back into the workplace and healthcare specifically, pharmacists take an oath to protect the welfare of all of their patients. Can you provide insight into the pharmacist's role and responsibilities in addressing systemic racism and health disparities? Yes, uh, so that that's a very great question. You know, I, I talked just a minute ago about the social determinants of health. And I think that's an area where um, we have fallen short as pharmacists. But we oftentimes will have patients who are maybe not adherent to their medications, their disease states are not controlled, and we may label them as a difficult patient, or we may make assumptions about uh, those individuals and our biases show up, uh, whether conscious or unconscious. But we fail to, to dig a little bit deeper. You know, the, the patients that we see in, you know, whatever setting we, we're in, we just see the surface. And, you know, I like to refer to patients as an iceberg where there's so much more underneath the surface that we need to dig deeper into to understand the why. You know, I'm, I'm currently reading a book uh, that is titled, What Happened to You? And it really lends to this trauma-informed care lens. And I think this is a responsibility of, of pharmacists is for us to, to ask the questions and, and address the why questions. And even when we are training our um, students to understand and educating them to understand the why, um, instead of just focusing on what, because I think in order for us to address how, we have to understand why. So really digging in deeper. I also like to, you know, I like this model that some colleagues and I, we've just recently written a paper that addresses, um, you know, the social determinants of health, racism, health disparities, but utilizing this well-known model, the socio-ecological model. Um, it's utilized widely in public health but there are five layers within um, that particular model. And I think this is where pharmacists can, can really tap into. Um, so the first layer is the individual. So really thinking about educating ourselves, learning about the social determinants of health, learning about uh, racism, all the different types of oppression, learning about allyship. Um, so that's the individual level. The next level is interpersonal. And so how are our interactions with others? And that's where the unconscious bias, we really need to understand 
what our unconscious biases are so that we can address them, unlearn them, and uh, mitigate them, and therefore create a better environment and a better interpersonal interaction with individuals. Another layer is institutional or organizational. And so that's within our own organizations, really digging deep into what policies and procedures are potentially not equitable um, or, or what particular practices are not inclusive. And so really tapping into what actually we can do within our own institutions. The next level is community. And so, you know, it's important for us to, to understand the community that we serve, the community that we're a part of. Oftentimes our, our places of work, we serve a variety of different types of people. And so when we think about the injustices or the inequities that they are facing, um, we need to tap into understanding and also partnering with different organizations within the community so that we can better understand, but also so that we can better serve them and and really make um, our services more accessible. And then the final layer is policy. Um, And this is where, you know, it's more of um, advocacy. And and so advocating for policies within pharmacy. So certainly joining pharmacy organizations and being very active and involved in um, pushing through different proposals and, and advocating for change within our profession or within healthcare in general. And so really those five different layers covers pretty big responsibility that that pharmacists have. And I think, you know, from the oath that we take, it encompasses all of that. You know, I think that iceberg analogy is probably the most well-known yet forgotten example of the human experience. We only see 1% of who our patients are. So addressing the why before the what and how is so important. Breaking healthcare down in the five layered model makes this bear of a concept feel more manageable, you know, where, where do you start and where can we go? I appreciate that policy and advocacy are the final layer. Just the idea of advocacy can be intimidating, but when you break it down even further, even the smallest actions can make a difference. So thanks for sharing that. What other examples or advice would you have for the next generation of pharmacy professionals and how they can champion these DEI initiatives into change? Absolutely. You know, I think the next generation of pharmacy professionals, you know, our students, they have really been awakened um, to what's going on socially because they are social. You know, they are, they've tapped into different social media platforms. And so they are oftentimes more aware than uh, some of our older generation. And, and so certainly speaking up and speaking out about injustices that they see um, and equities that they see as well. So whether it's, it's in the classroom, in your school, within, within your workplace, at home with um, loved ones as well. I often get the question from students, well, you know, how can I speak up about different things like racism or other um, levels of oppression with someone that is, um, you know, there's a power dynamic. And it's really about how we state or what we say, the language that we use. And it's, it's always important to, to speak in the I, so speaking in the I feel, So maybe stating when um, someone made a statement and how that made you feel. So um, when you made that statement, I felt uncomfortable. Can you maybe share 
what your thoughts or your, your reasoning behind saying that, but also being a part of student organizations as well, being out in the community, that community outreach, really being a part of helping to, to mitigate health disparities by providing greater access educating themselves. So just like pharmacists, we have to really take the time to consistently be lifelong learners. DEI is an area that I feel needs to be required as well as it relates to our professional development as pharmacy students and as pharmacists. So not only educating themselves, but once you learn something, you can no longer unlearn it unless it is you know, certain things that are negative. But once you know something, you you now know it. And, you know, when you know better, you actually want to do better. And you want others in your network to also do better. And so really advocating and speaking up when you're around um, your immediate influence, your immediate network of influence. So being activists. And, you know, it does not take a large platform to, to be an activist. As I mentioned, you can be an advocate or an activist just within your own family and friend circle. So really just taking the initiative to, to speak up, educate, but then trying to do that in the different places that you are a part of. So whether it's, like I said, personal or even professional. I like that you're touching on both small scale and large scale ways of how one can incorporate change into their everyday life. We certainly need those who advocate on Capitol Hill and use their large platforms for positive change, but we also need those who are willing to have those sometimes uncomfortable conversations in the workplace with their peers or even just at home. So I'd like to end with your thoughts on how individuals can lead these changes in their own organizations to prioritize diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yes. Um, so, you know, I think we've touched on some ways to, to lead change because it, it really takes not accepting what I call the status quo, just doing things as we always have, because we have to understand that, you know, historically there has been intentionality in being exclusive to different groups. And so, you know, I, I really like to inform or just share with people that it's important to be intentional the opposite way. So we have to be intentional about being inclusive, be intentional about being equitable. So the way that we've always done things is, is not a response or an excuse just because we have maybe seen some, some benefits or success. It's, it's now time for us to be bold and to take our profession to the next level. And it really takes us being intentional about being inclusive and, and equitable. Um, and so it's, it has to be at the forefront of our actions. It has to be at the forefront of our policies, of our procedures, and of our practices. And so, you know, we've talked about a few ways, but I, I think that's really the, the best advice that I can give is, is being intentional. And, and so it does take thought. It does take education. It does take being uncomfortable because the status quo makes us comfortable. We've just, we continue to do things as, as we always have. But when we are growing, 
that uncomfortable feeling is, you know, those growing pains. And that's actually a good thing. You know, I, I, I've learned in my training that we really want to push towards that learning edge of being uncomfortable, but still learning and continuing to press on this journey. And so this is a journey that we will never get off of as relates to to being more diverse, more equitable, and more inclusive. But just know that the way things are now, we still have a long ways to go. And so really just uh, thinking about that intentionality. Well, I think that's an excellent wrap up of your entire discussion, having that intentionality, wanting to understand why things are the way they are, how we got there, and how we can press on in the journey of creating more diverse, equitable, and inclusive communities and organizations. Join us here at ASHP Official for more on this mini-series, Digging into DEI and Pharmacy Practice, where we'll continue to trace practice journeys, examine the impact of allyship and intersectionality, and stress the critical need for cultural competency among the pharmacy workforce. Thank you again, Dr. Butler. Thank you so much. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.